0: This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. From the armeniaproud.com studios, this is A Toast to Armenia with Jono Kabinjian. A comprehensive look at the Armenian culture, only on LineUpMedia.fm.
1: Luisin How are you, Brian? I'm doing very well today. Well, brother, I've been uh, looking on Facebook here, and uh, we've been, uh, I don't know, I know we've been a little stifled of late, but uh, I'd love to get this thing uh, up and running again, and we've got a great guest for you folks today. I think you'll really enjoy this interview. We've got Amasya Zargaryan is the Grants and Development Manager for the U.S. branch of the Halo Trust, uh, the world's largest uh, humanitarian mine-clearing organization. Yeah. I I think that's so important, you know. I, I, these guys are going out there and demining places like this. this. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy
0: how it all all played out. But all these these people going to war and stuff like that, using all of these mines all over the place to right. stop the enemy from getting into places. But and then what, they what's just the, they after just effect? left them all there. Yeah, you know. And so like now it's just wreaking havoc on on all sorts of people, on just all over the population. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, he recently returned to Washington D.C. After uh, spending two years at Stepanagert, Nagorno karabakh wow, he was there for two years as the Halo Regional Program Officer for the Caucasus, uh, covering the Karabakh, Georgia, and uh, Abkhazia. Abkhazia, hmm. you know that I think Abkhazia just had a big, uh, big uh, situation there too with uh, Russia and all that. Well, anyway, we'll get we'll talk to him about that. Uh, uh he's born in Tehran. Masia is also a graduate of Stanford mm. University, uh where he received a B.A. and an MA degree. So uh wow. the guy uh, the guy's sharp and uh he's uh I like to know how he got back to his roots kinda, you know, where uh you know what, this is kind of stuff that I wanna do and it's so humanitarian, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I'm reading here that since
0: 2000, Halo has been the only agency clearing the minefields and cluster munition strikes in Nogana Karabakh. I said that horribly wrong, it's didn't right. it? It's, right. Got it. We got I'm it. just one of those guys. You know, I just can't say that. It's I can't that say 1%. The don't it's don't the, worry about man, it. 1% it. Armenian, don't worry. So, about. So, but it says that uh, they are one of the largest employers in the country and recruiting and training local men and women to clear minefields affecting different uh, communities. Uh, Halo has cleared about 500 minefields in Karabakh. And uh, destroying nearly twelve thousand mines and over sixty thousand other explosive remnants of war—that is impressive.
1: Yeah. Well, we got Amasya Zargarian on the phone. Amasya, how are you?
2: Hi, John O. Good to hear from you. I'm
1: doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, my friend. We got Amasya Zargarian on the phone here. So happy and honored to have you on, my my man. It's uh it's incredible uh, the stuff that you guys are doing right now. How did you how did you get involved in this?
2: Uh oh! Well, thanks, Jana. It's uh, it's good to be uh good to be on the show with you. Um, so I got involved. I've been uh, working in you know international development broadly um, for a while now. I live in Washington D.C. But uh, back when I was uh in grad school, I did a I did birthright Armenia and I did a, a summer internship basically in Qarabar. Um and that's when I uh, got acquainted with the work that Halo was doing um, out there. And I thought, you know, this is amazing. This is really cool. I mean, I'm still in school, but it would be so awesome to be involved with this somehow one day. So it was always kind of in the back of my mind. Wow. And then just working, working in this field, you know, over the next, uh, you know, six, seven years after school, um, I, uh, I, I saw an opportunity. They were looking for a a diaspora in Armenian, um, to go to the, to, to the program to be actually be based in Harabah Um, to help um, with the work there um, and also to to connect with with the diaspora. Um, And I thought, you know, when am I ever going to get a chance like this? (laughs) So so I applied and and I was out there for for the last two years, back as of a few months ago.
1: That is is remarkable. You know, we all go to college. uh, We're thinking we're going to do this. And we always think, you know, how can I do something that can help others and so forth and now you're right there in the back door in armenia right there and uh you know where armenia and azerbaijan and uh i mean it was like uh, two years you spent around that area uh you said abkhazia there was some uh conflict going on there i mean were you ever uh, nervous ar- around those areas <laughs>
2: not really i mean it's it's funny I mean this is a it's a conflict zone right but uh it's alaba uh, was absolutely the safest place i've ever lived oh, much safer than any any city in the, in the US um Stepanagar yeah 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 i mean the the most the most dangerous part of my of living in the caucasus and going back and forth um you know um between abkhazia and raba was is the driving <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, was, that was that was the most dangerous part you no know, i i felt absolutely safe out there um and of course like right, working working with halo and, and everyone knows what they're doing so I, I definitely felt very very much at home
1: how did halo this company halo is it a non-profit company how did halo get yeah. involved in something like this
2: sure um i guess I'll, I'll give a little bit of background i know you did a bit of an intro but uh so Halo um was founded in nineteen eighty eight. It's uh headquartered out of a small village in Scotland, which you know is still our still our headquarters, kinda of funny. Um, and it started out in Afghanistan, which was uh, which is still our biggest program. And the goal of this organization was founded by some uh by ex ex British military um Guys, and uh, they wanted to clear a safe path for other humanitarian workers, like the Red Cross, who were trying to access people in Afghanistan. And they had to get rid of the mines before those guys could do their work. That's how the, thats how the idea started. Um, and since then, it's grown. You know, we work around in around twenty-five different countries in the world. And uh, the Garabak program. Um, you know, we. First came to Garabao in 1995 it, was, it wasn't long after the ceasefire and the point of that program the goal was to actually train the local um, build up a local capacity for them to do the mine clearance themselves so that so the locals
1: yeah that's what yeah, I was going to ask was, you
2: that that was that was the in, initial intention was to come to, to come in 1995 we were there for about a year did some training um, and then and then left in 1996, but um, the next for the next several years, the the rate of accidents uh, was just unacceptably high. I mean, too many innocent uh, people were getting killed and injured by landmines and other and other explosive things. So, Halo was invited to come back in 2000. Um, actually, if you know the the uh, Baroness Cox, who's done a lot of course. Uh, for, 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 for big a time, our... big time yeah, big time humanitarian over there she's from the uk and halo is a, a british organization So she was involved in that and through um you know initial support from the u.s government through usaid halo came back in 2000 and actually set up a permanent presence um and started doing the mine clearance again obviously training locals all of our staff members are local um, but actually set up its own mine clearance program, and we've been the only operator doing um, landmine clearance., Amasia, when you say when you say the locals
1: are clearing this, is there some sort of qualification that you guys are looking forward to when uh, you're bringing these people on board?
2: Um, honestly, the only qualification is you have to be at least eighteen years old um, and not have a criminal record and you know be able to do the physical labor. As long as you have, you fit, fit those criteria, um, we have a standard training package. It's four weeks of D minor training, which includes theory and practice, um, and then a week of first aid training. As long as you can do those trainings and pass the weekly tests, um, you are eligible to be a D minor. Okay. Anyone can do it,
1: men and women. Now, when one hears. Landmines. We picture a sign on a wooden plate or a wooden board. You see something like that too, Brian, don't you? I mean, the, you always see a field out there. You see a yeah. skull. Uh, the the old uh, the old World War Two movies, Minenfeld, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like something just, like that. And uh, it's not like that, though, is it?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a few I think uh, misconceptions about landmines and minefields that are particularly uh, interesting in the context of Garabal. One is. One is, you know, when you think of a minefield, you think of like a field, right? <laughs> a field. Exactly. Like you've been to you know, you know that the terrain is not like that. So when we say mine, we still call the minefields in Aradabah, but in fact, you know, these are these are mine hills and mine valleys and mine rivers, mine forests. Um, so that complicates things uh, additionally. And then um, the the thing about signs, I mean, yes. The signs get put up, you know, communities put them up or different agencies um, put them up. Um, but having a sign itself doesn't do anything because the problem is not in a place like Araba where, you know, opportunities, economic opportunities are very, very limited and people are absolutely dependent on the land. The problem is not that people don't know where the mines are. It's that they have no choice but to use the land where the mines are. Of course. So that's that's the imperative to 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 get rid of these landmines and these minefields and other things because you know people don't have a choice but to use that land. They are. It's not that they're willing to take the risk. They have to take the risk. That's now, the
1: reality. Now, when these mines were put on or put in, not put on, but put in to the ground, was there any type of a kind of like a area that's a military zone or they just put they were just put out everywhere to just bring havoc
2: sure so i mean um the, i mean uh i won't go into too much detail about the history of the war but, but yeah but as you know it wasn't a a regular war a traditional war between two standing armies it was kind of you know village against village group against group and so people the different size, both Armenians and Azerbaijanis used whatever they had. You know, maybe this group got a box of mines, the other group got two boxes of mines. And then the same piece of land, the same hillside, the same village would exchange hands multiple times. So you'd have both groups sort of laying down landmines to protect their own positions, um, sometimes around the same areas. And no one really kept any kind of, you know, standardized maps or anything like that, Mm -hmm. which which is a big problem. But that being said, you know there there is currently uh, obviously a line of contact where the two armies are standing on opposite sides. Halo has nothing to do with that line of uh, contact. We don't work there. We don't interfere or support any military group, anything like that. We're talking about the mines from the '90s that were laid in the '90s that are affecting civilian populations, affecting the villages.
1: And are you? Your group, uh, Halo, are you guys respected by both sides, and uh, do your job uh, without getting a uh, sniper attacks or anything like that?
2: Um, we, our presence in in Rabat is not appreciated by Azerbaijan, to to put it lightly. Okay. Um, we are, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's, we do face a lot of pressure um, internationally and locally. Um, from Azerbaijan to, to leave, Darabakh. they consider our presence there illegal. We are a neutral organization. We're non-political, non-religious. Um, we're humanitarian workers. We work wherever we are invited, wherever it's safe for us to work. Um, yeah. We're not involved in, in the conflict itself. But, no, we, are, we do have to be careful with our teams uh, when they get closer to the line of contact because our guys have been, have been shot at before
1: that's what i was thinking and that was my next question has there been any sniper attacks or anything like that uh and uh you're saying yeah and uh it, it's amazing that one uh one doesn't support it and the one supports it and um, i i guess it's uh it's just uh to you know i guess it's still to bring fear amongst people um, amongst uh uh travelers uh how do travelers react to this uh I mean, is it something to fear if you're going to Nagorno karabakh Is is the presence that alarming to people from the uh, from the outside?
2: You know, tourism tourism has grown a lot um, over the last ten years, especially, um, and the kind of landmine threat that would have been a problem to tourists um, was much more pronounced, I would say, twenty years ago, fifteen twenty years ago. Nowadays, the highest priority. Um, areas have been cleared, the ones that you might just wander into or drive over, you know? Um, so the, 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 people who are facing the threat, the vast majority of them are the ones who are kind of going to, um, the more fringes of land that tourists wouldn't, wouldn't go to. It's the people who are cutting wood, it's the farmers who are expanding their land as people going out foraging for, for herbs. I um, see. You know, hunters, things like that. Yeah. Um, I know, I know that the the authorities of Aruba are very, very proud um, and very, they're very careful about the fact that foreign visitors to Arabah, um, you know, don't get hurt. They're kept safe. Right. Um, and 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 sometimes you know we'll get people who will hike across Aruba, people who will do the Janapar Trail, and you know they they'll email me or message me, uh, or our office over there, and they'll ask, hey, this is my route. Is this safe? And we tell them, you know, yes, I mean, that's a, that's a well-established hiking trail. Villagers know what they're doing. Um, just don't wander off. If, you, if you're ever suspicious, just don't wander off the trail. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had a
1: guest on before. Um, he insists on calling it the Armenian Highlands. He doesn't like the word caucus. So, uh, Robert, uh, if you're out there, you, uh, you're the one that uh, uh, he was our guest. And, uh, yeah, Brian, you're smiling about yeah, it. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, and he puts out on uh, every time, uh, that don't call it caucus, call it highland, Armenian highland. But people like the, them are hiking, and they're very happy w- with Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, and, they're going to Karabakh and uh, you know, yeah, I guess it is working. How many mines have you folks in HALO have cleared?
2: Um, so since 2001, we have gotten rid of almost 12,000 landmines. Bordavo, 12,000. Uh, well, Remember, each 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 landmine. If it's an anti-personnel landmine, that can hurt or kill one person. If it's an anti-tank mine, that can kill uh, a group of people. Um, wow. Think of it. Think think of it in terms of people rather than rather than landmines. Um, but that's just mines. I mean, we also clear cluster munitions and uh, all sorts of. If you ever come to our uh, our office in Stepanakert, which everyone is, is welcome to visit. You can see what I call our Museum of Explosives, which is everything that we found, a sample of everything that we found. So besides the 12,000 landmines, um, we've also found and destroyed over 60,000 other explosive items. Oh, my God.
1: 12,000 landmines and 60,000 other devices that explode as well. That's right. How many workers have you got in that area? and the locals and so forth to pull something out like this.
2: So, um, the, our work is pretty seasonal. Um, many of the minefields that we work in are not safely accessible in the winter. Um, and it's not that we can't work in the, in the winter or in the snow we do. The problem is, uh, access the roads. If something, God forbid something were to happen, we wouldn't be able to safely evacuate them. Um, mm. when it's winter, Makes from, sense. From some of those, those tougher roads. So, so in the summer, in the summer months, or the warmer six, seven months of the year, we always scale up. That's what we're doing right now. So when we hit our peak um, this summer in June, um, we'll have about 270 people.
1: Now, uh, my next question is: uh, How far? I mean, how long do you figure? Uh, I mean, there's no way of telling how many more minefields or mines there are out there, or anything that de- detonates. Uh, how do you know when, you know what, maybe we're coming to an end to all this or whatever?
2: I mean, that's a good question. Uh, uh, we are currently trying to quantify that. We're doing an aggressive survey all over a to try to quantify the remaining problem. How long that will take depends on multiple factors. You know, obviously, number one, peace. Peace has to hold. Second, funding. Funding has to come through. Um, and then, uh, you know, once you do... Once you feel like a country is approaching that end state, uh, mine-free or at least mine impact-free, and it's happened in other countries, it's happened in Mozambique, um, it's happened in Abkhazia, typically what will happen is that every village, every town, every community will be surveyed and they will say, you know, at this point I don't feel that there is a mine threat affecting me. And once you establish that on on a national level, then you can at that point consider declaring a country or a territory mine-free.
1: Right, right. That's, uh, that's interesting, Brian, because uh, you're thinking, hey, you know what, maybe everything is safe too. Is, now, how long does it take? How long does it take to, for a mine, I guess, to diffuse? Does that even make sense to not, not even work anymore or blow up by itself and uh, just get out of the way of, it, of, of Mother Nature? Does that happen?
2: Uh, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, it depends on the, on the quality of the mine, the kind of mine. Um, but, uh, in any case, I thought about we're nowhere near that. I mean, these mines were laid, you know, 20, 25 years ago, but, um, they're still very, very much.
1: What's the lifespan on these things?
2: It's tough to say. I mean, I mean, there's people. You know, in in Europe, in Western Europe, we're still getting hurt by explosive ordnance from World War II. Jesus,
1: I didn't know. Uh, that. I remember.
2: Re- I remember reading a story a few years ago of a uh, a guy in the southern United States who was playing with a cannonball from the Civil War and killed himself. You know, this it doesn't doesn't go away. You can't assume that it will it will go away. Well, we have a question. Now, nowadays, they they produce. Sorry, now, nowadays they produce a bit like more mortar landmines, you know, things that are remote activated or they stop working after a time. But the kinds of old Soviet factory-made landmines that we're talking about is all about, they don't, you know, they're there to stay.
1: Right. That's, that's scary. That is really scary. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, I messaged this out on our uh, site, and uh, I, got a ans- I got a question back saying, uh, why don't we use more machinery and less people for... Uh, for dangerous occupation like this,
2: sure. No, that's that's a, that's a question. That's a good question. Um, we do we do use machinery. We have uh, a few uh, armed uh, front loaders, like big Volvo tractor type of things, that we use, um, especially in areas where there's a lot of metal contamination or a lot of uh, you know small vegetation things like that that would make manual clearance really slow. But um, again, it goes back to the to the issue of terrain. Um, again, not, uh is not a flat place. So if you think about using uh, vehicles in the forested mountains of, of, of Rhabar, uh it doesn't really work. Or if you, know, you, you want to use an animal or something like that, it, 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 it's not, uh, there's severe limitations to that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, though, I mean, this is a, a halo thing globally. Local employment is very much part of the, the strategy meant to give opportunities to people in conflict-affected areas, um, inject some livelihood into the communities so they can clear their own lands. And that, that itself is part of the recovery process yeah. from war. That is, know, that is very much important. We're not trying to minimize employment.
1: Right. I, I mean, it's just uh, amazing that if you went to a bar in Stepanagert and sat by a lady and uh, – so what do you do? I, you know, I clear minds. I mean, you don't uh, you don't see that in the uh, in the Western world. You know, it's it's, it's kind of I don't know. It's it's a unique uh, occupation to have. I'd be scared out of my mind. What the hell am I doing? And all this. But you said they get a for they get a month training out of this before they head yeah, out there. And,
2: and you know, there are there are very very strict international standards and local and national standards and standard operating. It's very, very strictly um, done, you know, it's, it's, it's methodical, it's slow. Um, and I know there, there, there have been sort of people have looked at the statistics of accidents and injuries and stuff from doing this kind of work. What has um, that been, by the way? Um, I, don't, I don't have it off the to, top of my head, but uh, I know it's, uh, it's comparable to doing any kind of industrial or agricultural job in the U.K., you know, they looked at it from a U.K. perspective. Hmm. But the rate of accidents and stuff is is comparable to, you know, working in factories or working in agriculture.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of days that, uh, I guess, knock on wood, too. I mean, these, these folks aren't seeing action every day as they're walking uh, through the forest and everything, right?
2: Sorry, what do you mean? Uh,
1: well, I mean, uh, when they're sweeping with their... Uh, What's that thing called? Where you uh, the metal, metal detector. detector? Yeah, I mean, it's not like you're uh, finding a mine every day, though, are you?
2: No, 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 no. The, the, you yeah, know, that's that's a good point. Um, the the kind of mine laying that happened in in, in Rarabal, you know, it's not as dense as uh, you know countries like Cambodia, Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe, where you have just hundreds or thousands of landmines in a single a single field. In Rarabal, they didn't have that that uh, level of resources. Well, but it doesn't, doesn't make the job necessarily easier. Um, it's just that, you know, it's a it's it's similar fine. kind of area. You, just have to, you still have to dig through it to, to find everything. You know?
1: Kind of like a needle in a haystack type of thing, right?
2: Sometimes it feels that way.
1: Wow. Wow. What is the, I, I'm, you may have answered this already, but what is the time frame that you guys have projected on something like this to be cleared and uh, safe from uh, any anything uh, detonating in the future
2: oh well I mean there as far as if you if you wanted to talk about everything explosive in the ground I mean that there is there is no timeline for that because if you, if we talk about the the cluster bombs the cluster munitions that are in a lot of bulk, I've just been talking about landmines mostly but the cluster bombs uh, I mean there's just hundreds of areas what what the hell is that that that
1: what what is that amasya tell me what a cluster bomb i don't i don't know i don't know
2: yeah yeah fair fair enough um sometimes when you're when you're working in this industry for years you just you know you start saying things and you don't realize they're not (laughs) household names yeah yeah um so so uh cluster munitions are a cluster bomb typically is like a either like an airdropped bomb it's basically a container or it's fired um, from the ground, and it will release, the container will release hundreds of small bomblets, little bombs, wow. um, over an area. So the idea is, like, you know, you drop one bomb, but then it will drop kind of like 100 or 500 little bombs that will sort of carpet. Um, and these uh, haven't went off? Uh, that's 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 the dangerous part is when is when those little things don't go off. Most of them do, but there is still a significant, you know, uh, failure rate, um, and they're dangerous because they look—they look like they almost look like toys. You know, some of them are silver and shiny. Some of them have the ones that were used uh, in the April War by Azerbaijan um, were Israeli-made ones that were brand new to Ghabal, and Jesus. those have these pink ribbons on them. So those are really, really dangerous. If you think about it from the perspective of a child potentially coming across one of these, how would they? You know, how could you resist? You interpret
1: you know, you that, that, that as a up. toy, as a little kid.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's, so there's a lot of areas. Um, you know, on of about, I can't believe they um, used they are, they put
1: are, a yeah. symbol on that as a ribbon.
2: Um, I don't know what the what the motivation is behind that, the pink ribbon specifically, but I just know the the consequences. Oh my God, man!
1: Unbelievable! Unbelievable. Well, you guys are. Uh, well, how's this uh, keep going? Uh, how's this? Uh, I mean, this this is the perfect name for you guys. Uh, Halo! I, I, this is brought from heaven for the people. I mean, how uh, how do we keep this going, and how's this keep uh, funding?
2: Yeah that that is a, that is the, the key question. I mean this this kind of work it's it's slow. You know, it's expensive. The vast majority of the costs are going to pay pay people salaries, um, and We've been lucky in that the U.S. government through USAID has been there from day one, um, from 2000 all the way now, has been our, our you know our most consistent donor. Um, but the 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 challenge there, the problem there is that the money that we get from USAID, that funding, is restricted territorially. That can only be used in the former Soviet boundaries of of Nagorno-Karabakh. Everything outside of it you know, whatever you want to call it, liberated areas, occupied areas, seven surrounding districts, we just call it the green areas as a a neutral organization. Everything there has to be cleared with private sources of money. So, you know, individual donations, private foundations, um, a lot we've gotten a lot of support from the diaspora. um, And uh, the the majority of the remaining problems is is in those green areas.
1: So is there a, a site or is there uh, places that uh, people can visit to donate and uh, keep this thing uh, striving as long as uh, we can get it going?
2: Absolutely. Um, so uh, on our website, halotrust.org, or if you want to go to the Raba specific page, it's halotrust.org slash mindfree NK. Um, you can see um, the background and also how, how you can help. You can donate. We have a. There was a, a family foundation based in the U. S. That has given us a challenge. They said that um, uh, up to four million dollars, they are willing to match dollar for dollar if we can raise it from private sources.
1: Uh, that would be huge, so we, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, we're not. We're not quite there yet. We've actually raised most of it, but uh, that there's still there's still room. Um, to fundraise. But I mean, that's been fantastic. I mean, that's allowed us to make a big dent in these areas that we can't use U.S. government funding for.
1: And you know what, Brian? Uh, what, what I'd like to do is get this site. And you know how on, a, on our page on armeniaproud.com? Yeah. Maybe put this on the right hand side and they could just click on it and go to it anytime. Yeah, we can hook that I, up. I, I think that would be great to have. I think we'll have Big E work on that too. Uh, yeah, I think this is important, man. I, I think what you guys are doing is, uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And uh, sir, uh, I gotta tell you, uh, I, I have interviewed a lot of people, but you know, everyone's doing the entertainment, doing this, doing that. I mean, this is right now probably, I, I think this is a great thing that you're doing for, uh, our people and the people over there. On both sides, whoever the hell wants to live there in peace, uh, they don't need something blowing up under their feet. So thank
2: you. Oh, thank you, thank you, John. No, thank you, thank you for for having me. And, you know, it's great to, you know, we are, we have almost 9,000 people around the world, but 99%, almost 99% of them are local staff members. You know, we're not, we have a pretty bare bones, skeleton crew, headquarters and comms and fundraising team. So we do rely on, you know, champions. Yeah, this uh, not is, just donors, but, but champions who help us get out the word. Um, well, and many of them are, are members of the diaspora. So, Yeah, hey, brother. You know, I mean, it, it, out.
1: you got strong convictions, and uh, this is beautiful what you're doing and what this Halo's doing. And uh, I tell you what, I'd love to have you back on and uh, keep us up to date on uh, how things are going over there. And we will... We will definitely – give us that uh, name again. I know we're going to have to look it up uh, on the show, but give it to me one more time. I'll, I'm going to write this down, and uh, we'll have this out on our site as well.
2: It's halotrus dot halotrust.org. And hey. from there, you can have it navigate to our Laura Buff page.
1: Okay, bravo. I love it. I love it, and I got to say thank you so much for being part of the show today, man. This is the kind of stuff that I really feel is important.
2: Absolutely, my pleasure. Happy to give you an update at any point. Um, Thank you, General. All
1: right, all right, take care. That's Amasya Zargarian uh, with uh, Halo Company, and uh, i tell you what, thank you so much. Well, that was a hell of an interview. Yeah, I was really amazing. enjoyed that. I I enjoyed everything about uh, Amasya Zargaryan. And like I said, you got to have strong convictions for your motherland, your, your fatherland, uh, whatever it is that it, it, Armenia pulls you to. And this man right here, he graduated from Stanford, mm-hmm. and this was his calling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how many people... I, how many people does these mines and the this cluster bombs and all the yeah. it's kind of it's like a walking nightmare for some people that have been hit by something like this yeah so uh you know what god bless and uh, keep up the great work halo and that's halo trust.org my friends i think it's a very important organization that we need to be in touch with that we need to keep uh keep the funds rolling somehow some way that this doesn't end till the very last cluster but I mean how do you can you imagine seeing a silver if you're a little kid seeing a silver ball with a, a pink ribbon on it yeah. that's a goddamn that's a goddamn egg or something that the kid's gonna pick up thinking it's a it's a toy
0: yeah i ended up looking up pictures of different ones used by uh you know russia china and and the u.s even and they all have some type of a ribbon generally attached to it because it's like helps with the flight path and 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 that kind of stuff but when they drop them in certain areas they will literally just like spray paint cb drop like right next to that area basically telling everyone do not go in here there might be unexploded ordinances
1: Wow. Oh. yeah well you know what shame on you too israel for selling that type of weapon that type of stuff to azerbaijan i mean we're the first christian nation okay i don't mean to get religious and uh, some some may take it some different way or whatever but you know what we don't need that we don't need that in our backyard you know, I'm just saying, all right. That's where I'm going with that one. I tell you what, Brian, that's our show for today. All right. And uh, thanks again. I mean, you showed some pictures uh, when uh, I was interviewing uh, Amasya. So thank you uh, for being a great part of the show again. All right. My pleasure. All right. Get not Key Share Party. We'll see you next time. Tune in next
0: week for another episode of A Toast to Armenia with Jono Kabinjian. Find the show online at armeniaproud.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash armeniaproud or Twitter at armeniaproud. Get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm.